Almost daily, the espionage war being waged by the Sino-Soviet intelligence network grows more intense. Welcome to Covert Contact from Blogs of War, where each week your host John Little takes a deep dive into the national security, intelligence, and technology stories that are shaping our world. All right, welcome to Covert Contact, episode 110. I am your host, John Little, and uh, we're back again with sort of a uh, another unplanned episode. William Tucker, who was here about 24 hours ago, is back. Uh, and we are discussing the case of uh, a former Green Beret, uh, Peter Debbins, who uh, was caught uh, spending over a decade spying for Russia. William, welcome back. Uh, thanks for having me back. It's an important case to discuss, uh, especially these ones that uh, go on for decades before somebody's, uh, somebody's finally rolled up. Yeah, we were just saying, like, as we closed out the last episode, that we're not going to have any shortage of stuff to talk about. And, I mean, wow, like, it's crazy that these things drop back to back. Yeah, and from what I understand, and over the last few years, the uh, individuals that I've spoke with uh, in the intelligence community simply said that uh, the gloves are off in a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways. And that's helped roll up some of these cases or at least disrupt them where they can. So, um, yeah, I certainly suspect that we'll see a lot more of this. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, yeah, I was just telling you offline that I won't ask you to to run in for every single one of these because it would completely disrupt your life at, at the pace we're going at. <laughs> <clears throat> but this, yeah. is a, this is a very interesting case. Uh, again, another apparently ideological case. Uh, but there's... There's so much. These indictments are are such good reading. Uh, they're tr they're troubling uh, in a sense. Yeah. yeah, they're instructive though, so we can at least take that away from it. Um, and we can't squander the opportunities to to learn, educate, um, and hopefully do do a lot better disrupting these things as opposed to uh, um, prosecuting. You know, you obviously want to stop these things before they happen. You can't stop everything, but um, uh, putting in the work to try and try and prevent it uh, goes a long way. It's pretty troubling uh, that it it lasted as long as it did, and 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 um, uh, we'll talk about the prevention aspects maybe as we get a little bit further in. But let's talk about the arc of the case first for those who haven't uh, been digging into it yet. Uh, they got sure. it really young, right? well, yeah, pretty young. I mean, ROTC at at, at the university. Um, yeah, I think the uh, they said is about age nineteen. I think it's about what that uh, what the indictment said, um, and that makes sense. I, I I do I will point out that uh, Cold War during Cold War, I think the average age for a lot of espionage was anywhere from uh, twenty four to twenty nine. Obviously, not everyone was within that uh, within that category, but um, it was by far the the most common age. Um, and part of the reason why you do that is uh, individuals are still, you know, they're still working out their uh, uh, political and moral identity. 
Um, and if you can get them young enough, especially around that age while they're still going through that process, um, you can, you can kind of guide them the way you want to guide them for one and two, when they do get in positions where they can be abused, like this individual did, um, you're not going to necessarily see the, uh, see the full gamut of, uh, uh, behavior issues that tend to arise in a lot of espionage cases. So it's, uh, it offers better cover over time. Um, it's not without risk, obviously, but, uh, um, getting individuals that age is, you know, they're not acquainted with espionage to begin with. So they're right. not necessarily suspicious of all these contacts. So, yeah, I mean, that's really, really what it is. Why, uh, why young people are such a great target. And uh, they gave him an interesting dry run uh, right out of the gate. Uh, and they, they asked him to, to get the names of four Catholic nuns. Yeah, it's one of those things um, you know, just to see if somebody can actually follow, in, um, follow orders, uh, memorize instruction, etc. Um, basically see how you perform. It's, although that, isn't, uh, that one isn't too difficult to no. pull off, but, but it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's a simple test. Uh, most agencies do that. Usually they, um, they want you to focus on, on methods uh, related to elicitation, uh, trying to pull something out of somebody just through the art of conversation. But um, yeah, I, I, I can only hope that one of those nuns wrapped them on the knuckles with a ruler. Um, <laughs> yeah, little things in life. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, that was almost, almost certainly amounted to nothing. Um, so I wonder if any of them remember, remember that incident. Uh, but that was back in uh, 96. Uh, and then he was, he was active for quite some time. I think one of the more interesting elements, um, you know, again, and with hindsight, there are always red flags, but, um, some of these should have been, should have been caught earlier. And, uh, he was actually relieved of command and lost his clearance. Uh, at some yeah. point along and, the way. And that is one of the more interesting aspects of this case, at least to me, because yeah. uh, uh, the the cause was a security violation, and it said a single security violation, which is, uh, it's rare to, to see that, so it had to be something uh, really egregious. Um, also, I thought it was kind of interesting where that occurred, Um we're talking about former Soviet bloc countries. Uh, I think he was in uh, Azerbaijan or Armenia, one of the two, uh, or was it Georgia? Yeah, one some somewhere in the Caucasus. But um, yeah, so that's that's kind of a clue to me that that uh, uh, that something could have been per- pretty profound there. That uh, said, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna relieve you of command. We're taking your clearance. We're sending you home. Yeah, that's that's not a normal thing to see. So. Um, I'm really curious about that. Yeah, <clears throat> he was able to to you know to get out with an honorable discharge, uh, and then a few years later, what five five years later, five or six years later, it's not entirely clear. His clearance is reinstated, and one of you know between between that period, right? He had actually moved. Um, was it was it in that period that he had actually moved to the Soviet Union? Yeah. I yeah, mean, well, the Soviet Union, I'm sorry, been, Russia. <laughs> yeah, I did the same thing last time, so hey. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's bleed over there. So, um, yeah, he he certainly did. And I one of the things I see throughout the indictment is that um, he kept uh, pushing his, his handlers in the GRU to um, uh, set up some business deals with him. So he was pretty intent on moving to Russia, doing yeah. business in Russia. 
basically starting a life there. Uh, his handlers, and I'll give him credit, were, were rather astute and, and managed to keep him on the hook and uh, uh, keep him working. So they're the ones that uh, uh, recommended he go into special forces. And they're the ones that kind of pushed him to stay in the U.S. and uh, work from there. So I'll give him credit for that. Um, I did see some poor trade craft, but uh, that was one of their better aspects. So, you know, I'll tip my hat to them on that. But uh, Well, let's, let's talk about the uh, fact that they were meeting with him um, in, in Russia. I mean, the fact that he was going there in the first place. And the, the depth of those contacts didn't raise uh, any eyebrows. And, and it's an interesting choice from the Russian perspective as well, right? I mean, this is, um, this is pretty overt. Yeah. Uh, you know, if he, was, if he was in a place where, um, you know, U.S. surveillance or at least some sort of Western surveillance in Russia was more, were more profound, maybe they could have disrupted this. That's, I mean, that's pure speculation. And right. A lot of luck, but. Um, yeah, this guy was not meeting in, in near Moscow or St. Petersburg or anything like that. He had, uh, I think it was Samara is what they said. Um, yeah. And another thing that they did that, um, can kind of cuts both ways is he had a number of, uh, contacts that looked like, uh, they were switching them out and, and that's not, it's not unusual, but it can be risky. Um, when you see a whole litany of known or suspected meeting with yeah. <laughs> meeting with a the guy, they detail about uh, five, at least five or six in the indictment. Uh, yeah, I think it was seven. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, like I said, not unusual, but it can be risky um, because it's it's one of those things. It's like, why is this good? Because obviously, um, let's just say somebody noticed these meetings or something like that, just kind of offhanded and. Um, why is he meeting with these individuals? So yeah, there's a bit of risk there. And uh, you but, know, on on top of that, he comes back and um, applies for a clearance again. And uh, you know, apparently they did their research because they listed the uh, prior incident. They uh, listed his business dealings in Russia and other factors and said, these, these we're, we're granting you a clearance, but these pose risks for you. And it's, it's shocking because the list is like, you, you know, as I said to you earlier, these are the reasons that you would list for, you know, as, as evidence for a uh, reason for denial, not approval. Yeah. Uh, or at least drag out the process uh, quite a bit. You can require individuals to cut off the, cut off certain ties. Um, you know, so they can give them the benefit of the doubt, but it didn't look like they did that in this case. They just kind of said, "Hey, these are vulnerabilities and <laughs> yeah. to be aware." Um, hey, you're a yeah, walking that, red flag. Um, here's your clearance. Yeah, that. So that's that's certainly not smart. Um, you know, I know clearances are expensive, and sometimes getting somebody who's already cleared into a position um, can override a lot of other common sense, but. You, sometimes you have to slow down and take a look, and it's just and really ask yourself: Is this the right thing to do? I mean, and this is uh, a this is a a perfect case, right? I mean, it's it's just it's interesting to me that you can have denials for somebody smoked pot, and we're going to deny you. Um, you know, you're living in Russia and uh, doing business has have business dealings there, which put you at immediate risk. And uh, and you've lost a clearance before. Here you go. Yeah, I would certainly like to see the uh, <laughs> the judgment in that. That's yeah. a, 
whoever adjudicated that clearance is uh, probably probably putting in paperwork now if they haven't already. <laughs> then again, you never know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's so many factors here, right? And we we often forget that this is this is a government process at work <laughs> with people involved in it. Uh, yeah, there's so much nuance that doesn't get captured in indictments and things like that. And so even when something seems, you know, glaringly obvious and I mean, it really kind of is in this case, but there are so many other, other factors that we're just not aware of that could have influenced how these decisions were made. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I, it, this, this case just shows a lot of things that were missed. Um, yeah. A lot of cases do that, but this is pretty profound. But yeah, it's it'll uh, it will be an interesting case study for years. Uh, it just, it really has it all, you know. Um, I mean, we were we were talking about you know yes the case yesterday uh, involving China sort of being a classic espionage case, and this is this is again like another one of those one of those cases, right? Yeah, and you know, overwhelmingly the classic uh, cases are what you're going to what you're going to see, uh, most of the time. Um, and I, and I include economic and industrial espionage in that as well. It's just because it's at some point you're going to have to interact with a human and you're going to have to have a human grab things for you because they have the best access. Um, sure you can try hacking systems, but, um, anything that's, you know, air gapped or simply, uh, not accessible from the outside poses challenges. Um, and there's still a lot of hard copy stuff out there. There's also things that this guy did that's quite um, that's quite interesting. Is that he was uh, uh, influential and in, in spreading misinformation. You know, I mean, sure you can do that on any computer system, but when you have a so-called expert and telling a room full of people that, hey, this wasn't Russia that did this. This was really Iran. Uh, you know, that goes a long way. You can find him uh, appearing on podcasts and uh, writing for blogs and uh, not yours. We want to make that clear. Thank God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But you know what? I should probably, I haven't run a search on his name in my email. I should probably do that because I I get about a million, you know, feelers out of people. Um, that you know, I usually don't follow through on um, for reasons like this. Um, it's it's challenging, but yeah, he's out there, and, and it's again another red flag, right? Like the the content that he's been putting out there, kind of kind of iffy. Yeah, yeah, and disinformation is uh, it can be so effective, especially when you consider uh, the source of that disinformation. Um, and one of the nice things when you have that captive audience in a room is. Um, Sure, people can whip out phones and start Googling things, but it's kind of hard to listen and do research at the same time and on the spot. But so you you have a little bit of leeway to get away with uh, um, certain excesses, so to speak. But yeah, this guy. So this guy was uh, he was he was well positioned for that. And again, um, his handlers were ones that really helped make that happen. And just by pushing him to stay in the U.S. and maintain his. Uh, basically maintain his work that he was doing for him. Right. Uh, how damaging, um, you know, obviously you don't know the details, but just uh, after reading the indictment, how damaging do you think this case was? I mean, on some level, uh, I mean, obviously it's, it's always, they're always damaging on some level, but 
Um, you know, I would, I would say that, you know, this doesn't, this isn't in, in the top tier when I look at, you know, potential damage done and especially with his reluctance in some cases to do, to, to hand over some things It seemed like he did get cold feet in spots and they were able to keep him, keep him going. But, you know, I wonder how productive he was for them. Yeah. Um, that he was passed around and kept on the hook for, for that long. He may have been, uh, useful. They, they certainly wanted him to, uh, turn over names of, uh, say army counterintelligence, which I understand he did. He yeah, turned over names. Yeah. Other individuals in his unit. So th- there's a whole, whole host of things that you can pull out of this guy that uh, maybe on the face of it doesn't sound too you know too bad um maybe that's not the right word but um but when you look at this uh over time and everything that he uh everything that he touched there's going to be some damage there there'll be a uh, but it's not yeah this isn't there'll be a damage assessment and and whatnot so we'll get a get a clear picture at least uh within the ic i'll get a clear picture of what he did but it's not um, the walker spy ring or anything like that i mean it i mean it seems no, fairly no. um fairly contained uh, yeah and that's one of the nice things about the indictment there's no names of co-conspirators um and it doesn't seem that the uh, the names he gave them amounted to anything at least at this point we may learn more when this goes to trial um but they would have wanted to keep him around even even just to ha- have him in place, right? I mean, that's uh, yeah, still, still yeah. a valuable asset for them. Yeah, I mean, if, if you have a guy that has access, uh, that can be invaluable and something may crop up and they just might be perfectly placed to, to fill in some gaps for you. So, uh, again, you know, he's he's doing a lot of lower-level stuff. He's um, Then he does the information. I, like I said, I got to the thing that really bugs me is what he was doing in the caucus where he lost his command. I think that's going to be pretty telling in any potential damage assessment. So hopefully something about that will come out at court if it's, uh, if it's unclassified at this point. So, but, uh, yeah, so this is, uh, this is kind of an, an interesting case and in that this guy was, uh, acting in different capacities and touching a lot of different things. It wasn't seems like he was, uh, um, overly focused on say one, on one thing. So we want you to provide this certain political intelligence or something technical. It was, uh, it was, Hey, whatever you can get your hands on. Um, we want you to do some of this, this, you know, he, uh, yeah, he, he kind of, he was all, all over the place. So it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, how nervous are you if, uh, if you've spent the last 10 years working for China or Russia at this point, uh, given the, the <laughs> pace of things that we're seeing right now? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's difficult to get a flight these days too. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, your options are very, very limited. Yeah. So getting out, I would, I would, I would say for a lot of these people, um, I, I imagine they're going to be nervous, even if they're, even if they're innocent. But, uh, I, I will say, I see these crackdowns in China. There's a lot of pressure on Western companies within China right now, for example. Um, of course, there's Western sanctions on Russia and doing business in Russia and miss the sanctions is not a good thing. Uh, so yeah, I can, I can definitely see some nerves at play here. So the other, the other issue we have, which we haven't really touched on at all is, um, uh, as the pace accelerates here, there's going to be either real or 
staged reprisals on the other side, right? Um, inevitably, yeah, yeah. You, you'll see that tit for tat is is very normal. Um, in fact, I, we had that uh, one former Marine. I think his name was uh, Waylon. He's in prison. There's another guy that was just sentenced. I can't remember his name offhand. Uh, another American. Uh, that was pretty recent. I want to say in the last two months. So yeah, that's uh, we'll 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 certainly see that. Uh, we certainly saw that in the case of China as well. Uh, we had one of their uh, executives for Chinese telecom was arrested in uh, uh, Canada. And of course, you know, there's a few Canadians there in China that were all of a sudden arrested for and drug charges, I think. So, yeah, there's there will be reprisals without a doubt. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on this case and um, we'll see what drops tomorrow and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> Hopefully they're not major cases. We can and then we can uh, cover them again on Thursday and not not. Uh, uh, not discuss th- uh, major threats to national security every day of the week, but thanks for uh, coming in on a Saturday and uh, I will talk to you on Thursday. All righty. I look forward to it. You have been listening to covert contact from blogs of war. This podcast is produced, written and hosted by John little. Follow John on Twitter at Blogs of War and join the conversation with hashtag CCBOW. Thanks for listening. Uh